You know, NVS Finn's Leif and Jamin, they were kind enough to make me a set of custom fins. What? Yeah. That's the kind of customer service. And they have that ability. Like if you are a shaper or even just a layperson surfer, such as myself, uh, you can ring them up. And if you've got a special template that you're interested in, I can't speak for them, but I believe they'll be able to take care of you. Did they hear you talking about something on the show and then reach out to you? Or did you ask them? Yeah. Basically on Instagram, I was talking about a fin setup that I desired. And of course they were, they were readily available and eager to help me. And it was great. And, you know, I just can't say enough great things about those fins. They're insane. They're, in fact, I went, I went down to Mexico recently, left a board down there. And I was like, God, do I leave these fins here? <laughs> you know, like, do, I can't just leave these fins here. Right. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. The fin becomes, well, because it's easily transportable, it becomes the thing the commodity. Um, but, uh, yeah, surfnvs.com is their website. They sell them at a lot of retailers around the world from here to the UK to Israel, Japan. So you can find them around, but surfnvs.com. And, um, it's really a two man show, but they make apex series fins out of G10 laminate. That's not indestructible, but they guarantee it for life anyways. And, um, creates these really fine foils They've got everything, every, you know, size and template that you could possibly want with futures tabs or FCS tabs. So they fit into whatever fin system you have in your board. So it's a no brainer, surfnvs.com. And then um, neatessentialsusa.com. We've been hyping that last chance section of the website. Um, Obviously the rest of the website's fully stocked with uh, wetsuits and everything else that you need outerwear. Uh, but the last chance thing, there's just smoking deals. Some stuff that we talk about year round is now discounted there. The puffer jacket, the thin thin puffer jacket is discounted there heavily right now. Obviously wow. the backpacks. So check that out too. You know what? It's a great time to uh, purchase Christmas presents, believe it or not. Totally. Go, go on to neatessentialsusa.com. Check out their last chance section. That puffer jacket makes such a great Christmas present. You're going to get a great value on it right now. And what's so cool about it is that it packages very small. So you'll have a small little package underneath the tree. Totally. I've actually gifted, I'd say, 10 of those over the last five years. Um, just because they're lightweight, you know, it's like warm and lightweight. Talking about how small it packages, I've got one right here. Yeah. I bought the wrong size last year for Christmas for somebody. So I got a spare for next Christmas for somebody. <laughs> what size is that? Large. Oh, that's my <laughs> size, David. That is really quite kind of you. We'll see. We'll see if you're on your best behavior. <laughs> I don't think I will be, but maybe it would be cool if we, um, you and I pitched in and gave that to a listener. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. Actually, yeah, I could randomly... Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, scroll through our listeners on Instagram to try to find a large person. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem with sizing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like surfboards, well, they're picking surfboards, whichever board they want. So that's easy. Yeah. But for, for uh, the record, I am a large. I have lost a few LBs, I think, because the surf's been pumping so much. <laughs> that's good. Cool. Yeah. We'll go to the website, you uh, neatessentialsusa.com, and pick one for yourself in your appropriate size. 
see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Yeah, freaking guy. We are the Spit Podcast. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass. We've been coming at you since, I don't know, what was our first year? 2000 and help me out here. 13 or 14. 2000. It depends on when we had the episode where I blew up. No. Was, at that time, no. it was down the line or was it? We didn't know what it was called. And then, it, like, where do you make the line of demarcation regarding when we started? Well, the first episode that we recorded together, because that, I mean, that episode was years in. Yeah. Um, So let's, I'm going to scroll all the way back right now. Yeah, it was, look, we've been doing the show for a long time. Um, Okay, I got it. September 1st, 2013. Wow. Oh, we're coming up on on an anniversary. Coming up on nine years, dude. How about that? Holy shit. Time flies when you get older. This is why it's important to meditate, to just kind of take, the 20 minutes that it's and just sit there with it and uh, enjoy the time. It's a, so scarily true. And yeah. everybody's been telling me that obviously with a kid, they're like, dude, just enjoy the little moments. It goes so fast. It does. And it goes unbelievably fast. How old is your little guy now? Like three months or something? <laughs> Eight months. See what I See? mean? See? <laughs> Eight months. Um, but you all, so many of these little phases are already over and done with. Yeah. Like he's not sleeping on my chest anymore. That only yeah. lasted a month, you know? Yeah. Um, so we are doing our best. Like every time somebody gives me that advice, I heed it. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I will live in the moment, but there's no real way to slow it down. You can no. kind of be cognizant along the way. You know, I'm not like, like we have things that are exciting, uh, vacations or whatever that we're looking forward to but i constantly remind myself nope that'll come and we'll enjoy it but right now we're going to enjoy this yeah Yeah. but that's all you can do it's a tough lesson for all of us you know to enjoy the moment like it's easy to say it it's easy for you and i to sort of pontificate it right now but actually doing it you know is well uh, it's it's a it's a skill that you need and it's like any skill you need to practice it you know and and it gets easier and and you start to understand it a little bit more as you continue to practice it have you seen that television show alone no they drop these contests it's not it's real straightforward it's not sensationalized in any way but the premise is they drop people off in the wilderness to survive and it's always a barren not barren, but um, a cold environment, like the current seasons in British Columbia in like grizzly bear country, and it's going into winter time. So they have to hunt for themselves and they self-document everything. But um, seeing people isolated and going through the mental kind of challenge of all of that is really interesting. And it brings into focus a lot of the things that you're talking about. You know, it's like they really start thinking about their wife and kids or their parents or whomever that they didn't necessarily appreciate so much when they were home spending every day with them. Yeah. 
I get that a lot on airplanes. Like when I'm flying, I'm like, oh my God, my wife, I miss my wife, you know, you know what I mean? Or kids or whatever. It's just usually doesn't take long for that to kick in, right? No, especially as you get older. By the way, I'm so soft. You could not drop me in British Columbia. I would just be like, where's the Starbucks? What's going on here? (laughs) Entirely. I like food so much. (laughs) I need a burrito. Um, So Uh, anyway, yeah, this is a podcast. We're we're talking surf. In surf surf news, Code Red 2.0, J-Bay's over. Um, there's a couple of other things that happen. If I scroll down my notes far enough, Kelly Slater's new episode of lost tapes, we saw a backflip, but do you want to go code red 2.0? That's the lead. The code red swell is the lead because you know why? Because the waves are the stars and a South swell as everyone in the world knows, I think swept through the Pacific out of control, Chopu code red 2.0, uh, insane Malaya Wharf on Maui, incredible south swell locations along the entire East Pacific coastline from South America to Canada and probably up into Alaska, just absolutely firing. And the end result is a lot of surf stoked humans and plenty of eye candy coming out of most of these locations. What were among the highlights uh, as the viewer? For well, you? I the big ones, the Malaya Wharf on Maui, I think that's the the eye candy that stands out if there was a must-see moment except for everyone's seen it because it's been it's been uh, documented really nicely on instagram and beyond but i think that the speed of that wave you know six to eight foot malaya first of all it's extremely rare and uh wow what an insane couple of videos that are out there billy kemper there's a longer one that has Kai Lenny absolutely killing it with Billy and Steve Robert Roberson and some other guys um, that don't come to mind. I think Ian Walsh got one. Basically, the Maui crew is kind of on it. And, yeah. And it was just mind blowing how, first of all, how difficult I don't think. Well, I, yeah. I imagine most people realize how difficult it is to catch that wave. And you can tell those guys were on bigger boards. Like Kai yeah. Lenny was on a bigger board and you need that to get down the wave face with that offshore wind. It's a strong trade wind that blows right into that wharf and gosh, just mind blowing, uh, getting mm-hmm. down the wave face and setting the line and here we go. And it's, it's pretty perfect wave. It's, you know, like it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but once you're locked in, that thing's just heaving. Uh, it's nice to see Kai on a longer board. I don't think I've ever seen him ride a board that long. Yeah, pretty amazing. And they had to paddle in. I imagine there was a, a sort of a lockdown on skis out there. And I bet you just couldn't put skis out at that spot with 25, 30 guys. It's kind of lame. Um, so I agree with you. That is the highlight of my week as well. And yeah, I can't imagine how hard that wave is to surf. Um, you look at the challenges, the takeoff, and then as it's just unbelievably fast. So keeping up with it would take a tremendous amount of skill. I think once you're in the barrel, you're moving. Yeah. But um, the thing that stood out most for me right out of the gates was that clip of Billy Kemper yeah. doing everything perfectly. Like it gets that crazy drop, pulls in. It had shades of Morocco from when he got injured, you know, Ooh, that, yeah. that kind of same look. And I'm like, 
anyways, he pulls in perfectly and he's pumping and he runs over a boogie boarder, ditches his board, and it's right in Billy's path. And there was no way around it. And then the drone shot continues and just down the line there's a wave storm that would have been in his path if the boogie didn't get him you know and um the funniest comment that i saw said what kalani rob and jamie o'brien are out here trying to vlog while billy's trying to get the wave of his life <laughs> you know which is kind of funny except for the fact that it wasn't kalani rob and it wasn't somebody as capable as jamie o'brien there's literally a person out there writing a wave storm and the number of people who could ride a wave storm and surf like that is a party of one. It is Jamie O'Brien. There's nobody else on the planet that can ride a wave storm out there. And it reminded me of what I was saying last week where it's like, dude, how are these kooks, the surf school kooks making it out into the lineup and getting in the way for set waves? It used to be they would go down to Lahaina or they would go down to any of the other spots on that side of the island where it's friendly for beginner surfers. What are they doing out at Malaya when it's pumping? Well, a couple of things. First of all, we don't know that that's some surf school kook. Like in some regards, um, there's a lot of really good surfers that, you know, in a perfect world, in my opinion, would be on fiberglass surfboards that they could duck dive. But there's a lot of guys that make that have validated that board of choice, which is fine. If you want to have fun, I don't care what you're riding. But in those types of waves where you are going to need to duck dive to, to, to do, be responsible and get out of the way of other surfers, you simply can't duck dive an eight foot, you know, um, wave storm. It's just not going to be doable. And, and so we don't know if that's a surf school guy or, an, you know, a very capable surfer that's just like on the on the gravy train because look those boards pick up waves and if you're just pointing and shooting and uh, you know you could probably point and shoot i don't know we don't no know but I, I i'll stand i'll stand well, in you don't stark know. contrast and say yeah. that board is yeah. incapable of surfing that wave well i i don't know maybe i think it's more about the surfer than the board but um, dude i i think you're you'd going be mach one you think yeah, i mean it's got a down rail the thing's got a down rail like it actually would probably go pretty fast i don't know I'd be, ridden. I want to see the clip <laughs> of that guy. Never ridden. Uh, well, we'll see, you know, but you're right. The, that is the clip that is mind blowing. And it's funny when I saw it, like probably a lot of people, I was like, wow, in a weird way, it's kind of good that he ran over the boogie board because I think he might've gotten, gotten it in the chops with the softboard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's mind blowing. It's representative of, 2020 what it's like to be surfing in 2022 when i grew up it was just you had respect like if you were on riding that type of board you had respect for the people who are out there like billy kemper doing what they're doing and so you would never despite my own selfish desire to get the wave of my life i know i can't duck dive that board like you said and i'm going to create some sort of hazard because those guys are doing things that are just beyond my realm of uh, expectation. They're going to end up in a place down the line that I didn't think they were or whatever. So I would not be out there. And the fact that that happened like right out of the gates is, I don't know. It's not cool. I'll say that yeah. much. It's unfortunate. Um, and, and one more thing on that wave or that, that session, right. Uh, regarding the difficulty of that wave. 
as we all know, because we've seen it, the thing that's really hard about that wave is that that wave is pitching and heaving at a you know, very fast speed as it comes to you to the takeoff spot. So it's not like this little soft roll in drop in as it gets to you, it's heaving. So you've got to commit to a wave that you're looking down and it's top to bottom heaving for a hundred yards fast before it yeah. even gets to you. And that in and of itself is uh, you know, that's a tough deal. Yeah. Taking off on a section like that, there's no easy entry. Um, another thing that was different when back when you and I were young is um we would be introduced to spots like these, like this through the magazine or magazines. And there was, um, if it wasn't because they just had an epic swell, it was some sort of historic piece or just a photo from the seventies that we were seeing. I mean, I think of that Herbie Fletcher nose ride image at Malaya, you know, the one I'm talking about. I think it was on the cover of surfer. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, there you go. I mean, iconic photo. And so when I was a kid, I'd see that and I go, Ma uh, Leah, you know, and I'm like, how do you pronounce this? And then you wonder for the next 10 years because we didn't have the internet. So in your head, you're just trying to sound out these words, these names. And that's a rite of passage that we would all go through where we would have these introduction, this slow exposure, and we'd learn about these spots. And then we'd look it up on a map. And it made me wonder how many people on Instagram saw that wave for the very first time in their life and they had no idea what it was. And they just, yeah, you know, it was a a completely, it completely out of left field, no context to even appreciate what it was other than the Instagram caption that says, Oh, this has, this wave hasn't broken in a decade and it hasn't had a swell like this in 20 years. Um, And so because the magazines are not providing that context, I think it's incumbent upon you and I, Scott, and I have prepared an education for our listeners about Malaya, if you would like to hear it. Yes, please. I didn't prepare it at all. Scott, um, (laughs) Matt Warshaw prepared it. I'm just going to read it. Uh, Hold, please. All right, he says, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the interesting thing about pronouncing Hawaiian words is that and I might be wrong, and please, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've been told that each vowel, you sound out each vowel. Okay. So, so you never you know, put two vowels together as one sound. Each vowel has its own sound, and throughout every word in the Hawaiian language, you sound out that vowel, which is the Malaya. Yeah. Malaya is how I've heard it uh yeah but yeah, there's yeah. two there's two a's next to one another without uh, an apostrophe uh, but uh, i thought the apostrophe would create the ma'a i don't know i'm okay. not i don't want to speak like i know hawaiian but i know that that's what i've been told and taught was that each vowel is to be sounded out so technically be ma'alaya but if you just say it fast enough yeah i think that's what ha- i think that's what happens say it fast malaya. Malaya. And, pretend like, and pretend like you know what you're talking about also, so, before you get into this, mm-hmm. the other iconic image for me is the one of Al Chapman with his feet really close together. Mm-hmm. And I want to say he might even have his hands on his hips, maybe, where he's just standing straight up and tall in the middle of the board, almost in like a parallel stance, his feet super close together. We've got to find that image to There's a, They're in. out there on YouTube, I think. We'll find them on, uh, post them on Instagram is what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Temperamental right-hand reef wave located on the South shore of Maui, Hawaii, adjacent to the boat Harbor renowned for, 
as the world's fastest rideable surf break. Although Malaya breaks with machine-like perfection, less than one, one of four rides here are completed. For most surfers, the object of Malaya is simply to hold trim position inside the tube for as long as possible. It's pure unadulterated speed, Maui photographer uh, Kurt Ader noted, that was never, uh, that never ever lets up. Malaya usually comes into top form just two or three times a decade when a distant wave producing storm lines up perfectly with an eight mile wide gap between the islands, uh, the island's southwest tip. Years at a stretch can pass when Malaya doesn't get above waist high. Prevailing winds at Malaya are straight offshore and usually blow at 20 to 30 knots. The bottom is coral lined and fairly shallow. Unlike nearly all other surf breaks in Hawaii, the water here tends to be murky. Malaya rarely gets over six feet and is best on an incoming tide. The wave itself is divided into five sections, beginning with off the wall, then moving into impossibles, freight trains, down the line, and inside section. A single ride from impossibles to inside section, one of the surfing's rarest feats, lasts for more than 300 yards. If you know how to ride the tube, local surfer Jarius Cannon said in 2005, guaranteed you're getting a 10 second barrel out there. Malaya was first ridden in the early 60s, but the clunky boards of the time weren't suited to the wave. Not until the shortboard revolution of the late 60s did surfers begin to cover any real distance at Malaya. Local surfer Joseph Buddy Boy Keohi uh, was so highly regarded at Malaya in the late 60s and early 70s that the break was sometimes referred to as Buddy's Bay. Top Malaya riders over the decades include Maui residents um, Brad Lewis, Lloyd Ishmine, Mike Crow, Chris Lassen, Eric Tota, and Kai Barger. Surfing Magazine in 1989 listed Malaya as one of the best 25 waves in the world. No contests have ever been held there. Developers have periodically introduced plans to expand the 1952 built Malaya Harbor, and it is generally assumed that any such expansion would either compromise or ruin the surf while destroying much of the coral reef. In 2012, after an on-again, off-again battle, the Surf Rider Foundation announced that it had struck a deal with the Hawaii Development of Land and Natural Resources to halt any plans for further harbor expansion. Malaya, A Cry for Help, a documentary on the break's ongoing problems with developers was released in 2020. I'm sorry, 20, 2002. Cool. A good insight. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, <clears throat> funny that, <laughs> oh, a couple of things actually. I love how when a wave is good enough to have multiple names for the various sections, I love how in this example, they didn't come up with clever names at all. This section's called down the line. This section's called inside section. At which point, don't even name it. That's not even a name. That's just referring to what it does or where it is. I mean, it, you, you got to think back to how these names came into existence. And I can just see like, you know, five guys out in the water in 1973. And they're like, where is he? And they go, he's down the line. You know, that's where what we he? say. Oh, it. He's on the inside. Oh, that's, that's exactly right but that's what we say at every single break so that it doesn't it does deserve its own name it deserves a better name than that yeah. so surfers of malaya take I heed kind of, i like buddy bay you know i i, think I do too buddy boy actually would be kind of an interesting like there's 
certain characters that have weaved an interesting web in the surf culture and maybe um you know buddy boy might be one that would be um worthy of a of a minor deep dive into you know a minor dive i guess you would say into to uncover his story it's a sad one for sure and it's you know it's one that that we've all heard before but um, i i don't know a story at all well i can't speak to it with with any authority but um you know buddy boy was a hawaiian surfer that charged and obviously from maui and you know got kind of caught up in that late 60s early 70s into the 80s thing and and um you know with 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 uh like i said i don't want to speak out of turn here but let's just say he had a troubled sort of second half of his life and ended up um you know maybe mixing with individuals that he shouldn't have mixed with and and basically it, it ends sadly you know what i mean i'll let you get your imagination fill in the blanks does he pass away or is he injured? oh yeah no no he's, oh, okay. he's, he's been passed um at some point he ended up here in cardiff like he no was way like kind of lurking around the shanty and that huh. kind of with like uh i want to say with uh rocho um Who's the guy that did fan, uh, Forgotten Island of Santosh? Roger Yates and his mm. brother, Larry. Well, well, what's interesting, too, is um, that these, these locals, like, they commit yeah. their life to a wave that only breaks every couple times a decade. You know <laughs> what I mean? And yet they are known as the locals out there because – you don't have that many good years as uh, being at the top of your, the peak of your game in surfing. Yeah. And so these guys who are probably only surfed it a dozen times, but they're the experts on it. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. You know um, I'll tell you what, on, on that same sort of note, I just finished an inter- a podcast, a boardroom podcast with Marty Hoffman. Do you know, Marty? I only know of him. I don't, yeah. I've never spent time with so, him his dad was flippy Hoffman and we had a great talk about flippy and flippy's time on the North shore and his exploits that aren't, that need to be excavated more thoroughly, you know, like, and, and if you listen to the Marty Hoffman podcast that I just did, he'll, I'll let, you know, he, he kind of speaks about it. It's pretty interesting. Somebody messaged me on Instagram yesterday saying they were thrilled to see that you interviewed him. Yeah. Is it out there? Did we publish that? Yeah. It went live yesterday. Oh, cool. All right. Well, I'm going to have to re-listen to that. Um, yeah. Uh, we need, you and I need better Nick. We need nicknames. We got Flippy. We got Buddy Boy. And you're just Scott and I'm David. Yeah, that's okay. I don't need to, I don't need to be above the fray. I'm just uh, a man amongst men, a surfer amongst surfers. I'm neither the superhero of my fantasy nor the dwarf of my fears. <laughs> well, that's good uh besides you have to let listeners or not listeners but friends uh create yes. your do you, create have, your do you know you anyone can't create your own do you know anyone who's created their own nickname <laughs> i do and it's not a good look yeah me too and actually everyone, though, i don't want to say anything more i know everyone knows that it's, it's not no you know what i mean and they insist they insist yeah. that you yeah, call they, like my... put it on their business card and shit you're like come on um the worst the worst one and the most trite one is big wave dave and and it's never even a guy who surfed a big wave it's often a guy who's never surfed 
It's just a guy who <laughs> likes wearing Hawaiian shirts, but he insists on being called Big Wave Dave. Yeah, and sometimes that one, because your name is Dave, it's just that one gets put on you without any, you know, like you didn't really throw it on yourself. I disagree. Nobody's ever <laughs> labeled somebody Big Wave Dave. Only yeah. Daves have labeled themselves Big Wave Dave. <laughs> I have a friend who, who's always like, when we're talking about surfing and stuff, and he's he's a classic guy. He's a great writer. And I'll be like, yeah, I surfed. He's like, let me guess, was Wally out? Let me, he's like, let me, would you, did you surf with your buddies Wally, Salty, and Billy Bob? And was Big Wave Dave there? Like, he always just... He just makes fun of it. It's so classic. Um, the other thing that's kind of fascinating about this swell, yeah. first of all, while we're on names, I'm not down with the name Code Red 2.0. You can't just 2.0 it. This has to, this swell should have its, it should have a bespoke name. Don't you think? Well, I have a question about Code Red. Wasn't Code Red Code Black? Or was that the, the uh, cloud break swell? I thought, when Tahiti went mental, whatever it was, 10 years ago or eight years ago, wasn't it code black? Like they shut down the harbors and stuff in Tahiti, which is like, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Well, they referred to the swell as code red at yeah. that time. Yeah. Um, so I knew exactly what this reference, 2.0 I did reference. too, but I thought the marine safety in Tahiti and Polynesia was like, we're going code black, which is... All war, you know, all the harbor entrances are closed. No Marines or Marine, no, you know, no vehicles are allowed in the water, that type of thing. But so you're know. saying the surf world missed their opportunity. They should have branded that swell as Code Black. Maybe. Yeah. I'm fine with that. And then this one could have been red and we wouldn't have to deal with this 2.0 nonsense. <laughs> was this one bigger than the, I feel like the last one was bigger and cleaner. I don't, I mean, I don't know. It's a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. Um, but did you, by the way, see the waves crashing over the condos in Kona? Oh my God. Yeah. That's insane. Right. It's just... So crazy. Yeah. People are in the parking lot behind the condos and the waves on, a, on Oahu. I think it was in Kona. Yeah. Dude. That's the, that's the only, you mean on the big Island? Yes. Wow. The footage Clark kind little of... posted Clark little posted on Instagram. It was posted a bunch of places. But um, yeah, I guess South Swell would get up there. Yeah. At any rate, uh, the other interesting thing about this is Billy Kemper was at Chopu when it was, you know, five days ago, towing in on mutant waves. Yeah. And then he's at Malaya for that too. So he's truly he's a, yeah. surfing the best of it. I mean, arguably the same wave at Chopu that he's catching at Malaya. It's the same energy, anyways. Um, so bravo to him. And, anybody who pulled that off yeah he's he's truly dedicated to going and jumping on the plane and traveling and picking that swell up and i this is what makes me think too of all the spots that we're not even talking about that we're just oh, yeah. all time you know like even here in california you know like i'm sure cottons was mental huge you know like and good pretty good i'm assuming i don't know but there's so many nooks and crannies down in baja and down on the mainland mexico and down into costa rica and down in the you know, and then, of course, South America and I mean, just, you know, and up into Canada, like I mentioned earlier, and and, um, you know, islands that are out there that no one's even thinking about, you know. And, well, that's and you say nooks and crannies, and that's the key with some event like this is that 
there's so many spots that don't ever get the swell. And then they only light up when you have this level of uh, energy. And my that's my personal strategy around here in Southern California is I have no interest in spending tons of energy, getting smoked and trying to surf Newport Point or something, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I don't even, it's too big and yeah. I'm going to get, I'm going to get lit up and I have to paddle too much, but I do want to find the little nook and cranny. That's a perfect six foot wave that never, ever breaks. Yeah. So, well, I'll t- I will say this, that I absolutely got my clock clean during the swell. You know, there, it was one of those swells that because it was inconsistent here in California, if you got impatient, decided to paddle in a little bit, caught a little wave on an in-betweener, a six footer in-betweener, and you kicked out and there's seven waves coming at you. I got so smoked uh, surfing out here that, you know, like, I mean, wave after wave, after wave, after wave, after wave, duck dive, duck dive, duck dive, duck dive, duck dive, you know, uh, I got absolutely demolished. Like I'm a little bit sore kind of, I need, I need one of those active recovery days, you know? <laughs> did you go, did you go in after getting that uh, smoked? Oh, I okay. didn't. I, my, my ego wouldn't let me do that, but I thought about it. I absolutely, because yeah. I was in no man, like there was no going over to the corner there and getting right. into a channel. There was no getting into a channel over there. It was just coming, you know, it was just, and yeah, you know, I had put myself in the worst possible spot too. Like I kicked out and just went, oh yeah, I would have went left. I probably would be in the channel maybe. Yeah. But that's the key that you said is like, you get impatient, you go for that six footer. And what's nice worse little- is. Yeah, go ahead. What's worse is if you don't catch that six footer where you just Ooh. paddle for it and you don't get into it. And then you turn around and you're like, Oh yes. Yeah. But you well, said you got a nice little, what? I got a nice little cover up yesterday morning, you know, pretty good, good little for, for me, you know, like for where I was surfing, it wasn't, it wasn't Malaya. Believe me, it was Southern <laughs> California. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, one of those well, things where I went to surf line. I told my friend about it. I go, yeah, I'm going to go grab the, the picture of it on the surf line rewind, you know? And I went and grabbed it and it's this like grainy low tide. You can barely see me. Maybe the, the lip was hitting me in the head. I thought I was in this big fat tube and I sent it to my friend and he's like, Oh yeah, that's cool. And like 10 minutes later, he sends me this picture of a water shot of a guy just standing in a big gaper. <laughs> and he goes, Hey, the water, there was a water photographer. He got the water angle. It's much better. <laughs> and it was the ultimate touche. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, Along those lines, you know, what's rad to see nowadays is Kai Lenny surfing Malaya and you get all three angles of it within one day. Like it early morning, I see his uh, GoPro clip. He posts his GoPro clip and I'm like, oh, this is sick. I go do some work midway through the day. I pull up Instagram. Peter King is posting the beach angle. You're like, oh, this is the same wave that Kai posted earlier. This is sick. Later in the day the drone angle pops up on Instagram and you're like, you could piece together an entire surf spot throughout the course of the day or a surf section throughout the course of the day. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was exciting. And um, you know, something that those guys that surf that wave will remember for a long time. Like I said, uh, you know, who knows, maybe next year it will happen again, but it's, it's pretty rare for it to be that big. I mean, it was, Oh, I mean, massive. Even in Matt Warshaw's EOS piece, he said it rarely gets above six feet. This is one of those times. I've so last time I was on Maui, I drove past it and it was waist high and you know, nobody out. 
but you see the speed of the wave. It's not surfable when it's waist high. Yeah. I'm looking at it kind of like envisioning what I saw in magazines when I was a kid and I'm going, well, where could you take off? Where could you go? And the reality is when it's six feet or eight feet, it's probably moving at that same speed as when I saw it at waist high. It's just, you have more, uh, energy under your board when it's that large that you can actually make it. So I'm looking at it going, it's too fast. It's not rideable, but if it was large enough for you to paddle into it and make that little entry, then it is makeable. You just have to be going full speed. Yeah. Sadly, I, I, I have this weird vision of riding it on a glider, you know, like on an 11 footer. So you're paddling at an angle as it's charging at you, you're paddling at an angle. You don't, you're not going to do a bottom turn. You're just going to catch it early enough to kind of do a mid face turn and just set your rail on your 11 footer. And now you've got so much momentum and velocity with this, this board that's just flying that you're kind of sitting there and laughing. Yeah. Uh, you're obviously not as sensitive as a smaller board. So you're going to have to hope that you pick the right line and you go. Yeah. Well, that's the problem too. There's a little bit of bump on that face and a glider catches all that. No, 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 no. My glider wouldn't. <laughs> no, but there's no such thing as a bump my glider laughs at bump okay i gotta take um, a quick break let's okay. do a commercial sure real water sports what's not to love about real water sports i love it you love it you know why tons of killer surfboards a selection that's just a deep dive into all the stuff you love plus hard goods fins wetsuits leashes wax things that you need to go surfing and uh, that's why it's called real because it's real water sports. It's real surf uh, surfing for real surfers, real water sports. Our friends over there are going to take care of you. Um, I just pulled up the website right now. They've got used boards mixed in with their inventory as well, which I always love. I grew up riding used boards. Um, so 1500 board inventory. I'm going to list some of the names of the brands that they carry. Lost, Christensen, IPA, AJW, Black Rose, CJ Nelson, FCD, Firewire, Hayden Shapes, uh, Pizel, Mark Richards, Maurice Cole, Rawson, Ricky Carroll, Roger Hines, Ryan Sakel, Slater Designs, Smith Shapes, Takiyama. Um, so if you can't find something there, I don't think you're going to find it anywhere, Scott. They've got a little bit of everything for everyone. As you were going through that list, sadly, I thought to myself, you know what? I have one of those. I have one of those. I have one of those. I have, one of those. I have every one of those boards. Holy mackerel. So, so they've got what you need, but they've also got, like I said, used boards. They've also got a blem section. So boards that got maybe a little bit of, um, maybe didn't come out perfect in lamination. Maybe they got damaged in transit, whatever the case, discounted heavily. So check it out, fantasize, peruse, and uh, enjoy a phenomenal resource is realwatersports.com. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. 
Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You know, speaking of good surf stories, I do want to give a little plug to Bird Huffman, who started a new podcast with my buddy Ken Lewis. So uh, Bird and Ken Lewis are doing um, a podcast and I wish I had the name of it in front of me. I thought I did, but it's probably got something to do with bird surf stories or something like that. So that sounds ch- right, check yeah. your, um, you know, if you're, if you're into these fun surf podcasts, like ain't that swell. And of course, spit and surf Spunder and the grit and the boardroom podcast. And um, what's the really good one on the East coast? Uh, sm- uh, is it smash surf? Yeah, they, they still do that periodically. They're also Jamie's doing or, um, Tyler and Jamie are also doing hardcore surf history now. Oh, that sounds cool. And now you can add birds pod to that list. And of course, Chris Cote has kind of a a multi-sport pod that he does. And there's a lot of fun stuff out there, but bird add birds to the list. I've done pods with, with bird before on the boardroom show. And he's, he's uh, God, he's, you know, he's got a litany of great stories. Is theirs specifically about surfboards? No, I think it's about just kind of like all the stories the bird has over, you know, 50 years of being highly uh, integrated in the surf scene here in San Diego. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I'm trying to find the name right now, but somebody did send it to me as well. And I, um, I can find it too. Let me see. I don't see it. I don't see it, but people can find, (laughs) I guess if I can't find it Googling, then they can't find it. Right. I'm going to find it. Um, Oh, talking story with Bert. Talking story is what it's called. Talking yeah. story with Bird Huffman. Yeah, talking story with Bird Huffman. So, cool new pod, um, worthy of checking out for sure. And uh, um, there you go. We didn't discuss the end of J Bay. It happened, I think, the day after we recorded last week. So we don't need to do a deep dive. But um, a couple of follow-ups. You mentioned that Kelly's board looked bad. I was like, how'd you, what'd you think Kelly? And you're like, ah, his board looked a little bit off. Like, I'm not sure what the deal was. And I'm like, what was he writing? And you're like, I'm not sure. I couldn't quite tell. Um, did you see the story on Stab Magazine that they, okay, they researched it, got to the bottom of it. Turns out he was riding a board off the rack from a local surf shop. It's funny because the first round heats that I saw him on didn't seem like the same board that he was riding later. Oh, so maybe he got a newer. Did maybe Stab he... look into that? Maybe and maybe I'm wrong, but I thought there was some gray, as I mentioned last week, some gray on his first round board, and then I saw him later with just like a stock, you know, colored like a clear board. 
So the one that they were talking about was the clear one that didn't have any stickers or anything. Um, And the story was he has a friend in it at J Bay that I, uh, he leaves boards at that person's house. And that friend also has house guests throughout the year, apparently. So (laughs) Kelly, Kelly showed up to the event very last minute. You remember he was in Bali. So he shows up a day before the event starts and his boards are gone. I guess he had like 11 boards that he had left there and they're gone. And so he doesn't, yeah. So he doesn't have something to ride for the contest. So he goes to a local surf shop and buys, you know, one of his Slater design boards off the rack. And, um, the waves he's, he said that he's been riding that, that model, you know, for a long time and R and Ding it. And so, and so, but he, the waves are going to be bigger. So he bought like a larger version than he normally would ride. So in that sense, it was a new experience. Um, and it was noticeable, obviously, for you and yeah. for the viewer. But it was just kind of a funny story. Like, dude, <laughs> you're the 11-time world champ. How do you not have access to boards that you know are going to go? And I understand this specific scenario, but didn't you communicate with your buddy whose house you're staying at? Like, hey, I'm coming. It is a world championship tour event. I'm, in theory, trying to win my 12th world title. And so I need to make sure that the boards that I want to perform on are there. Did well, they not have that conversation? And the, yeah, the big, yeah, the bigger conversation, like, where do they go? Like, but like when you show up and the boards aren't there, what do you, what do you say to the guy who's let you stay at his house for probably 15 years or whatever it is? Right. <laughs> You're like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll just go get a new one. Or are you mad? Or does your relationship with this person end in a bad way? Or, I I doubt it. It seemed very casual. Kelly's telling of it. It seemed just casual, like, oh, he's doing me a favor by holding these all these years. If he loans them out, you know, no big deal. But I think that where it went wrong is he should have had a conversation with that guy a month ago been like, hey, I'm coming. Are those boards ready to go? You know, like, how did that get overlooked? This is not a local NSSA comp that you're just showing. You're flying around the world to compete in a world tour event there's a lack of professionalism in this moment that is shocking to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm pulling up the Kelly's first round heat here to see if I was mistaken about this, this gray on his board, but yeah, I, I, I actually appreciate the fact that he left boards there and he just flies around without boards. I love that. Right. Yeah. That part's and, great. And I don't, and so I don't see it as unprofessional. He's like, cool. The boards that I love for J Bay are right here. I don't need so me, to me, it's agreed, real, agreed yeah. up until that point. I'm all in with what you're saying. Yes. But you're saying he should have said, Hey, I'm coming over. Are my boards there? Like had a call beforehand. hundred percent or his buddy. It's really incumbent. It's his buddy's issue because his buddy should know Kelly. These are Kelly's boards and he's coming. He comes once a year. His boards it's, are no longer here. I need to tell him to bring his boards with him. You know what I mean? There's so much more to the story that needs to be dug up. I mean, I want to know where the boards were, where the buddy thinks the boards went, who was, I mean, they must, is the buddy like hurting for Joe? And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to part out these boards and tell Kelly somebody stole them. Or like, I don't know, like, what's the deal here? You know, like this, this story hasn't been excavated firmly. 
did stab magazine did just enough to get us all worked up but they didn't go deep enough to solve the actual riddle which um, tells me that they may do know like this could be one of those cases where they're like well this is what happened okay i'm watching kelly's first wave here and there is definitely gray on the nose of this board so and, he covered up a logo no it's like a gray spray right it's a gray spray throughout like the the no it's like a light gray airbrush and it wraps onto the rails and then later he's on just a normal white board because i remember going oh he's, he's off of the gray board well that's what i'm saying did he cover up somebody else's logo on that board oh on the gray board i can't tell let me try to stop this video at some <laughs> certain point but the, well, I, I think maybe stab knows the answer and they're like you know what this is one of those things where we're not going to divulge this we're thankful yeah. we got some information from this guy and because of it we're not going to tell the full version well maybe I think it's a, maybe no one knows i whatever the story is i think it's insane that kelly slater would be buying a board off the rack to surf in a contest um to surf in a world championship tour contest oh, especially one, when the waves are pumping at jbay this one actually has an outer known logo on it like that he must have stuck on it doesn't look like he taped it's kind of hard to stop these things at the right time but yeah. this board definitely has gray on the nose okay yeah. well add that puzzle piece um the other thing that just is an interesting note is jamie o'brien commercials playing during the event advertising his app <laughs> so apparently jamie o'brien has an app and he's big enough to where he's buying advertising space on the wct event it's an interesting moment in surfing for us. Yeah. Um, somebody else sent me something about his app too. Like, I guess you can, it's AI generated and you can ask Jamie questions like, where should I take off at Malaya War? Like, where, where's the takeoff spot? Or, you know, you can just Crazy. ask and it's supposed to generate answers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Crazy. It kind of like so Siri. He... It's like Siri for surfing. So he's Jamie, not answering. Where should I eat after I surf? How does AI know where to take off at Malaya? The only value here would be if Jamie's answering the question. No, Jamie answers the question, but I think it's AI driven. Like, so if I, and I don't know this, by the way, this, I don't know. I, this is what kind of I was told. So this could totally be bullshit, but I think you can go, Jamie, where should I take off at Malaya? And AI will go, this person wants to know about a takeoff spot. And Jamie Why does might AI come need to translate that. <laughs> no, but, AI is not involved. I, I no, I think the app works on like, like I, I'm assuming that the app would go, it would be Jamie's voice and he would go, take off deepest dumb dumb or something like that. You know what I mean? Like sort of an opaque general answer. That is hilarious. Well, again, the only value here would be if Jamie O'Brien is providing his insights as only he can, because uh, you know I don't I don't see where AI's value is in this. Um, well, you but, think Jamie answers every question that's asked? Personally? Well, why would you, you, you'd have to, I mean, why no, else no, would no. you and People, I download the app? He's probably answering a million questions right now. Yeah. Because he's getting paid to do it. That's why. Yeah. But you, you can't keep up. Like at some point, I don't know your job, David is to download the app. Okay. Find out, get to the bottom of this. Okay. I'll be back next week. I'll, I'll tell you where to take off at Malaya. That's what I need to know. This is what I need to know. Thank you. And the weird thing was Jamie had gray sprayed on the nose of his board. 
on the nose of his wave storm. Uh, so remember also last week I was telling you how rad it was see to, or rad it was to watch the 2005 footage of Andy versus Kelly. Yes. A friend of mine uh, sent a message about that conversation. And he said, I want to get your thoughts on this, Scott. It's kind of interesting. He says, it's clear that the internet and social media has quickly homogenized surfing. The Griffins of the world are only better in one category, and that is consistency. They have a higher make percentage. And with that style of surfing, you have to kind of dial it back a little bit. You have to tighten it up, keep it in touch, uh, a touch more in control. You have to sacrifice sheer radicalness. And Andy never did that. Care- Kelly barely did that. And they, we all grew up surfing in the moment and radical like them, or at least attempting to. So younger surfers these days are treating surfing more like skateboarding, a series of tricks leading to the next and a line, as they call it. Surfers today are trying to draw a line, combos. They're, it's now in vogue uh, to successfully begin a combo when you're already thinking about the next move and essentially reducing the power and radicalness of the first move to properly set up the second. And this is being rewarded by the WSL now because salt has left the building. I love competition surfing, but this is starting to feel like gymnastics. Surfing is hard. Surfing is scary. Surfing is thrilling. It's not a floor routine. That's a great email and it's a great take. And I, I would suggest that, you know, maybe, 85, 90% of the CT surfers think that way. Um, I think the top level guys, although they do think about, hey, I've got to complete a ride here, which is sort of what we're talking about. Um, And frankly, I would suggest to you that Andy Irons was thinking, I got to complete a ride here too. Um, uh, You know, so- I know. It is a homogenization. There is this thing that your friend is talking about. This does occur. It is happening, um, and which is why, you know, in a perfect world, first of all, uh, we would be surfing in ways where that didn't matter. Now, we just surfed an insane event at J-Bay. The waves were the stars. The waves were incredible. And look, you, you know, if somebody would have done an air on the first section out the back um, until they made it and continued on and just kept trying it, you know, in my mind, that needs to be massively rewarded because you're you're basically sacrificing the back seven eighths of the wave for this one outside turn. And and nobody did that. So nobody was like, well, if he's doing it, then I got to do it. Nobody had the balls to go. I'm going to fucking blow mines out the back on the first turn. And so everyone sort of does kind of go to the least common denominator of, OK, what's the rat most radical thing here? Well, it's just these really crazy pitch and top turns and then the tube section and then a finishing thing. And that's what it is until somebody changes that paradigm and makes it about first turn radicalness. Yeah. I mean, I agree. But you, like you kind of said, the top surfers, this doesn't really apply to because he's saying the Griffins of the world have to dial it back a little bit. I don't know. The Griffins the Italo, the Felipe, those few surfers actually are as explosive in every turn in the combination. So they are doing a combo of things and any one of them is gnarlier than what the back half of the tour is doing on their best maneuver, you know? 
Griffin's yeah. Griffin's standard blow tail kind of that he starts a wave off with it lowers is gnarlier than what people are doing on the end section going full speed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and frankly, people like to see massive gouging rail hack top turns. Like we saw yeah. at J Bay, like we all relate to that. We all go, Oh my God, he carried that rail through the turn and came, did a carve down, down carve, you know, so it's relatable. Oh. But what he, I think my buddy was also alluding to is Andy's style of surfing was so um, foot on the pedal that it looked like he could lose control in any moment of any turn. You know, he's hitting the lip with so much kind of power and also just like looseness yeah. that it's like the wheels could come off. And so when he pulls it, you're like, oh, that's insane. And then he does another one, boom. And you're like, oh, that was insane. So it doesn't look rehearsed and it doesn't look like he's thinking about turn three while he's doing turn two. He's putting everything into turn two. You know? And to use his gymnastics analogy, in gymnastics, if you do these things super controlled, you're rewarded. Whereas what we kind of like is this living on the edge might fall but, but controlled, but living on the edge. And yeah. that's more exciting to us as end users. Yeah, totally agree. Um, well, speaking of Andy, I mean, Ethan Ewing's the closest comparison that we've seen in modern time. And so congrats to Ethan and congrats to Tati for taking out that excellent event. And congrats to the WSL for pulling off an epic event. Let me say this though, that I think we do Andy Irons a disservice when we say that Ethan Ewing's the next Andy Irons. I don't think there's anyone like Andy on tour right now. Um, I think Ethan kind of serves almost like a combination of Curran and Andy Irons, but Ethan doesn't have that thing you just talked about with, with Andy. Now I'm not saying Ethan isn't surfing on the cusp of losing it, which he kind of is, but there was, there was an animalistic quality to Andy surfing that I don't think the closest guy is Idolo as far as that animalistic, like, yeah. like, you know, wave be damned. I'm frigging going hard here as if I'm doing a, I'm surfing for a video edit or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Um, well, my must see moment of the week is Luke Swanson's backflip. Stab posted this with a little poll saying, is this the greatest air we've ever seen? And um, they got commentary from Slater and a bunch of other people about it. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't do airs. I don't know which one's harder than I'm always surprised by what aerialists claim is hard. There'll be like a straight air with a grab. And they're like, that's harder than doing a full rotation with this other type of grab. And I'm like, all right, whatever. doesn't look harder, but I guess it is. I wouldn't know. But this backflip is impressive no matter what this is like a proper six foot six feet of air and the kid just pulls it so buttery um i think it's an incredible clip i'd say it's a must-see moment in fact absolutely and you're right i think the the buttery nature of it you know where there wasn't any bobbling or you know kind of what we were just talking about he just does it it's super high and um you know, the way he land, everything about it was like, it was almost, too, it almost looked too easy. It almost looked totally. like, yeah, he does these all the time. You know what yeah. I mean? It was like the perfect, you know, like he does them all the time. And this is the best one of the 30 that he's done. Right. You know what I mean? Well, it's, what's interesting to me too, is um, 
who's Luke Swanson? I didn't see this coming. You know, like I, although I did see him in Hawaii last year, I wasn't there, but just seeing what came across the internet transom, he did stand out a little bit, but I still just, uh, the fact that kind of not the highest profile people can break the internet still, I think is fantastic. I loved seeing this. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. And congrats to him. And, um, you know, that thing lit up the internet. And yeah. in a week where there was a lot going on on the internet. Completely. Um, in stark contrast to him, just as we're talking about living on the edge, that's what we love about Matt Miola surfing. Cause Matt Miola goes into a section and I'm not even convinced Matt Miola knows which way he's going to rotate. <laughs> <laughs> he just like, he's like blast off and then lets it, lets the wind spin him, does whatever. Yeah. And then like, doesn't it just lands somewhere and often it's in the flats and there's a huge explosion and his board goes flying and sometimes he stands <laughs> back up and that's exciting you know luke nothing to, not to take anything away from luke because luke's is insane but that thrill of matt miola potentially going to break his ankle is also really epic matt miola surfs like he's in the pit at a dead kennedy's concert you know and he's just <laughs> getting slammed around and and, he, and he's the small, thin guy that's just getting worked by big guys. So he goes up in the lip and who knows where Matt Miola, Matt Miola doesn't even know. He's just slam dancing at the Dead Kennedys concert. hundred percent. Perfect analogy. I'm looking at the rankings here on the CT um, for the men. And I'm looking at the top five cutoff. And number six is Kanoa with 35,000. And number five is Griffin with 36. But number seven, there's a big drop. 32,000. So 3,000 points between Caleb Robson and number six, Kanoe Igarashi. Um, look, we know that uh, a good result can, can move people up here. Connor O'Leary, I'm thinking, so when I'm thinking Chopu, I'm like, Connor O'Leary seems to be on the up a little bit. Mm, yeah, um, for sure. And he's a goofy foot that, and he's a big bloke that I think could charge a good Chopu and get a surprising result and maybe s- slide up. But I mean, the top five seem pretty locked in relative to the top six. There's like six guys that are like, okay, these could be the guys. As long as they, you know, have a somewhat of a decent result at Chopu, you know, and like doesn't have to be mind blowing, but just keep getting, you know, I don't know, 3,300 points, you know? Yeah. 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 A, qu- a quarterfinals. Um, I should state that I was incorrect. I was talking about going into this event, J-Bay, that uh, Idolo, I figured Idolo was probably going to bomb out early and maybe Kanoa could slip in. Idolo did not. Idolo showed up and performed. So he made the quarterfinals. Um, and so he would be a bet for Tahiti as well. You know who I think surfed the best? And I don't want to say it surprised me, but I was impressed. Yago. Tatiana oh yeah she was kind of mind-blowing like I was you know like I was just it was like the bigger and cleaner it got she her boards looked like they were working good and she was connecting these big arcs and I, I was impressed by her surfing she's who I would bet on for Tahiti on the women's side mm. all right whenever the waves whenever the waves are bigger she's the one who's it ready to go and charging and I think elevates her game. Yeah. Well, it was impressive. And there was a lot of great surfing. And did you find yourself at some point kind of going, I'm bored? It was so good. 
No, no, not at all. I find myself kind of going, God, here, here comes another eight footer with seven or eight hacks and a tube section and then a slam at the end. Nope. Never got bored <laughs> for you. <laughs> Thrilled to watch it. <laughs> um, my kook of the week is all the people riding foamies at Malaya getting in the way. Agree, man. <laughs> that is not right. Take it to the wedge, dude. Yeah, I mean, come on, get off those soft boards. Take it Run. to wedge, not take the it, wedge. Yeah, take it to wedge or or church, not the um, church, not churches. And my Duke is so just celebrated his sixty fifth birthday seven days ago on July thirteenth, and that would be one Michael Ho. Oh, yeah, Michael Ho. Uncle Mike, as many of those that know him like to call him. Um, I, I do not know him. Royden Pringle, Mason Ho's filmer, put together a little tribute video of Michael shredding throughout his 64th year. Holy shit. And, and released it on Mike's birthday, July 13th. And uh, let me just say, if you're doing anything near what Michael's doing at 64, at any point in your life, you were crushing it. You know what? I was talking to Marty Hoffman about like, what are some good stories that need to be told? And I just realized Michael Ho's story, like an in-depth documentary, maybe even like a three or four parter, you know what I mean? Where, because yeah. Michael Ho is surfing in his 64th year with the same vigor that he was doing when he was 10 years old. Like it hasn't stopped. There was no place in that 58, 60 years or whatever it is where he isn't just like going and he, he kind of surfs the same exact way that he surfed when he was 10 years old. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm, I mean, we're all huge fans. And if you watch that edit, he's surfing 10 foot back door and getting the best wave of the day out there at soul 64. arching with his arms behind his back it's crazy that's, town that's insane. i mean look i don't have the talent so i won't be doing that ever but i want to at least be performing to my you know peak potential at 64 and so that's what's aspirational is like yeah. dude yeah re reduce the calorie intake and do a couple more push-ups today I mean, didn't he win pipe with a broken wrist? Yes. Um, and I want to say that there was, I'm, I don't know, there was a rumor that there was some mind-altering drugs involved or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's so many weird rumors. out. I don't put that on me. I'm just saying that guy's mind-blowing. His surfing is incredible. And he defies age, and it's inspiring. That's a good ad for mind-altering drugs, by the way. You know, microdosing psilocybin is used to um, help heroin addicts. Basically, it, it kind of removes the ego. There's some studies that say it goes into the amygdala of the brain and and sort of deflates the, the ego awareness. And um, you have a real sense of kind of being at one uh, with all of the cycles and the energies in the universe that are flowing around. And um, I think there's something to that. They uh, use it to treat PTSD and various other trauma as well, not just to get off heroin, you know? So yeah, yeah. it's definitely um, 
something there. But RFDA sure. won't. You got to go to Canada to figure it out. Those RFDA. Col- Colorado, maybe I think. Christo fascist. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well. Well, I'm gonna book a trip to Colorado right now. By the way, and, I'm uh, a. I love Jesus. I'm a big fan. Um, <laughs> I am. I really am. Let me say this. My must-see moment is R, 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 a film, a Bollywood Hindu film. Did you watch it yet? I watched half of it that <laughs> night. It's three hours long, dude. You didn't tell me it was three I hours. That's, no, you don't ever tell me when it's three hours long. You just go, you got to watch it. Yeah. And uh, it, you can't, I'm surprised you stopped watching it. You can't stop watching it. Well, that's a good point. And within three minutes yeah i was like oh scott's right this is definitely um look if you just said it's a bollywood film i'd be like and eh, i'll put it on the back burner not interested yeah but what i didn't anticipate was how overwhelmingly cinematic yeah it was it was like i mean we i guess i'm not i know bollywood is producing high as high of quality films as hollywood is at this point but it is that cinematic it's overwhelmingly visually stunning you know yeah every you, every every scene for the first five minutes i was just like whoa crazy and what what i've found and, and help me out with this maybe i'm reaching here but i almost think it's a parody because there are so many um sort of uh, what's the word i'm looking for um not trite but when things are it's there are so trope. many c- cliche or trope there's tropes. tropes. There's so many themes in it. Like it touches on every single theme that you could possibly throw at. Like, you know, good guy, bad guy, um, man versus nature. You know, yeah. like every they touch everyone. The to rags a point to where, riches. Yeah, ra- to a point that you're like that. They're almost making a parody on filmmaking. Yeah, that's true. That is. That's true. what I took from it. Like you couldn't do all these and go, yeah, this is the like you got to do all those and go. This is actually like Spinal Tap kind of. Kind of, except they're, I don't think they're doing it with that level of awareness. They're, yeah, they're trying to make just, a serious film. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I'm asking you to, to watch the rest. And, you know, it's just, they touch every single, they all it's the funny. pain points are touched, you know? It's funny. Well, it is. And what an entertaining film. film. And you know what? Super entertaining. Sit down, close the blinds, turn the lights down. Turn it up and watch this film. R R R, and you can get it on Netflix or wherever. Yep. Netflix and uh, carve out three hours. By the way, I've, I've been my friend pitched this movie to me, and I watched it, and I've been pitching it. And he's like, "Did you watch R R R?" And I go, and I think I sent this to you too, maybe. I said, "It's both the best and the worst film I've ever seen. <laughs> it's both. It's both the best and the worst." That's hilarious. <laughs> Um, you did not send that to me, but, but that's funny. Yeah. Good film. Watch it. Cool. All right. Well, look, David, until next time, adios and aloha.